This is Joe Dancy with the University of Oklahoma. I'm the executive director of the Energy Center at the College of Law. Of course, we'd like to check in with Mr. Joe Dancy from time to time about more of some topics rather than the specific Oklahoma shale plays down there. But just to kind of give us your frame of reference, what are your backyard shale plays down there in Oklahoma? Well, I tell you what, right now, Jason, uh, obviously the Permian Basin is really hot. And we actually had, oh, it's been about three or four weeks ago, we had uh, six speakers come in. We had a week-long executive energy seminar. It's part of our online program, and the students come for a week uh, here in Norman. And what they the, they talked about was the, well, some of the discussion was with regard to pricing and what it looks like for next year. And um you know one of the concerns you have because right now these companies are looking to set their capital expenditures for next year they're trying to figure out you know when to drill how many rigs to run um and what prices they'll get and obviously the current prices are a lot oh weaker than they were here a few months ago so the consensus was that uh the drilling activity is not going to be as robust as it, some people had said uh or thought three or four months ago. So the capital expenditures probably be lower, which means a lower rig count. Um, And this is sort of confirmed like Raymond James and Associates, excellent, they do excellent work out of Houston, you know, has lowered their price forecast for the beginning of next year, but they've ramped it up for uh, the end of next year and the following year and some other Spears and Associates out of Tulsa has also uh, ramped, revise their drilling estimates their their drilling estimates the rig count as well as their pricing forecast and so what they're saying is that you know the the drilling activity will slow down and that will mean that supply growth is not going to be anywhere near as robust as they thought it would be and as you know jason it doesn't matter whether you're in the balkan whether you're in the permian whether you're in the eagleford the decline rate on these wells is is massive compared to conventional wells. So you stop drilling, and the market's going to balance all that fast, but more faster. And and that's what Raymond James, that's what Spears and Associates, that's what they're all saying is that um, that the market's going to balance. And quite frankly, uh, towards from July on forward uh, of next year, you're going to see prices much healthier than they had forecasted but the first half of the year they're going to be weaker because of uh demand of course there's a concern now about a recession a global recession and you know lord knows whether we'll have a global you know but the bottom line is jason as you know um year after year regardless of a recession the the demand for crude oil grows china india you know everybody else there's no really good substitute for oil and the good news is it's it's fungible so that you can take North Dakota crude oil and you can sell it. You can get, you can get it to, out of North Dakota and actually get it out of the Permian Basin. You can you know you can sell your oil in China or, or Russia or you know wherever you want to sell your oil, which which gives you a global price. And so so that was the consensus. The consensus was weaker than expected in the beginning of 2019, but more robust in the later part of the year and even going. Um, further out in the 2020, they they thought you know oil prices would be higher than it than they expected. Both Spears and Associates and Raymond James and I'm just sort of summarizing these. I'm you know as a professor, I'm sort of like a canary. I look and I listen to people and then I write it all down and then I just repeat it. So it's a 
and I, but I do it makes logical sense yeah and especially when you start folding in some of the uh, infrastructure projects that are going to come online I mean right now you know you talk about the Bakken uh, they, they can't get any more oil out of there if they tried there's there's just a bottleneck in in pipelines and same thing with natural gas you've got Mexico ready to buy our natural gas Yet we just don't have the infrastructure quite there. So I think 2019, you're, you're exactly right. And I think one of the biggest indicators is going to be as these pipelines get built and as they start coming more and more online, the distribution to the marketplace is going to increase. So I, th- I see 2019, much like you said, it might be a little slower in the beginning, but as the months go, I think that the business is going to pick up. Well, let, let me bounce this off you this is a, you just brought up a very interesting point with regard to you know drilling activity and pipelines a couple of our speakers noted you know, just what you noted the pipelines out of the Balkan for both natural gas and oil and the Permian um, are being built out now to handle larger volumes and generally it'll be about 12 months from now where everything gets put online so you're going to be able to transport a lot more volumes And what they noted, especially in the Permian, there's a whole bunch of wells that have been drilled. They call them, as you know, drilled and uncompleted wells or ducts. And and the reason you don't complete a well, I mean, you don't want to spend the money and complete a well now if it's going to go on in September because, you know, number one, the cost of money and um, just from a physical standpoint. So, So what a couple of these speakers said is, you know, starting maybe in June or July, when they know the pipeline capacity is coming online, you know, they're going to call up their local frack crew and say, you know, gee, send me a couple of crews because I'm going to start fracking and get these wells ready, you know, hooked up and ready to go. When the... And they said that's going to be interesting because over the last six months to a year, a lot of these frack companies, because of lack of activity, you know, number one, have not kept up their equipment. Number two, have laid people off. And if you ever go out the Midland, it's not like there's a whole bunch of people you know, sitting around, you know, wanting to work, uh, you know, regardless of what you're going to pay them. And they said, you know, they're going to get on the phone and there's going to be a shortage of completion crews. And you sure as heck don't want to spend, a whole, you want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies to complete a well that you need know, to spend five or six million dollars in drilling and have, you know, somebody doesn't, who is not experienced to go out and mess up the completion or, you know, you take the you take the risk with inexperienced people, and so they they were actually they, they had a little chart and they pointed you know and said, gee, you know, April or May, you know, is the time you know to to uh, look for this frenzy of activity where people are going to want to start completing their ducks. And he goes, it's going to he goes prices will go up and um, it'll be he goes real exciting because because once the frenzy starts. You know, everybody will realize, gee, I need the contract right now for completion or I'm going to miss the boat. So, and that, again, that goes right to your comment of, you know, as they, they put together more pipelines and get them in operation, it's going to create a real interesting completion frenzy, you know, at the well site. Well, what I think is interesting is, is what you just brought up about the workforce uh, potential issues, because that's a huge issue right now in North Dakota. There's like 35,000 jobs open in North Dakota right now, and most of them are energy-related. A lot of them are energy-related through construction or um, technology, but the, the, the core is energy. And um, I've asked this question to Lynn Helms, who's the uh, oil and gas 
Um, I know, I know Lenny. Okay. He's a great guy. Yeah. He has some, he has some great jokes. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's, you know, but he's, he's the top regulator in the state of North Dakota. And then, yeah. uh, I talked to Michelle Comer. She's the North Dakota labor commissioner. So two of the top people, and I've asked this question to, and they both agree. Um, I'd like to get your comments and this is, this is, this is going to be an interesting cultural change for a lot of people who, um, primarily don't have a lot of change in their life, which is a lot of these jobs, you need you need a little bit of a different education. You don't necessarily need the four-year degree. You might need something like a two-year degree or maybe even a nine-month to a year degree, but you might need a new certification in artificial intelligence or maybe some computer software or maybe a new type of welding, whatever it might be. A lot of these, jo- these jobs that are available a new type of certification or education is needed. You don't have to go back for four years. And some of them train you on the fly and on the job. And some of them will even pay for your education. But what we're finding out is that sometimes old old dogs do not necessarily learn new tricks. Now, in North Dakota, if the North Dakotans do not want these jobs and the Montanans and the Minnesotans and the South Dakotans and those types of things, the nice man from Ghana is going to come here and take that job. And that's what's going on in, in some places like Williston and other places is you're getting some of these foreign uh, workers that are coming in either with a, a green card or maybe just to outright move over here. And so you're, you're bringing in some cultural uh, change and some diversity change. And that, as you know, sometimes needs to be ironed out in communities. Um, I don't know if you're seeing that down there in, in, your, in your neck of the woods, but up in North Dakota, one of the things that it's being attributed to is these jobs and that, you know, if, if um, people from the area don't want them, they're going to search the globe and look for these employees. And Lynn Helm, Helm said absolutely. So I don't know if you're seeing that or comment on that, but it, it changes communities. Oh, exactly. Actually, one of our speakers owns like 12 or 14 trucks out in Midland. They do some type of service. I can't remember exactly. And he's like, you know, six of his trucks are parked. He goes, if you go by the Midland airport, you can see him. Because it's not because we don't have the work. He goes, we just don't have the workers. And he told this, I had 34 students, and this is a master's online program in energy law. Oh, about three quarters of them or uh, a third or, or, or a half of them are maybe landmen. And uh, he told them, if any of you want to go to Midland, he goes, I will give you a green hat showing that you're a rookie. You, will, you can work on you know, one of my trucks. He goes, you'll, you'll be at the very low. You'll be sitting in the sun. It'll be 105, but I'll pay you 100000 a year. And, uh, and they're all, of course, the students are all stunned. It's like, you're kidding me. And, of course, he says, you know, this is, it's not easy work. You're in the sun. And he goes, I will train you, you know, or we will train you to, you know, you, the guys inside the truck that are, capturing all the electronic data you make substantially more and he goes we'll train you starting with your green hat and being a rookie and we'll you know you can move up and you know actually move into um you know the the higher level jobs are more supervisory and of course afterwards um yeah a few people went up and, <laughs> and talked to him and they were like you know a couple were landmen i said god maybe i ought to be sitting on a you know a truck out there doing uh, in midland and and uh except it is interesting, and, and uh, it, it was the, the and he told me and I told them that you know the market out there goes clearly. And actually, he asked the class this. You know, love this goes. Well, how many of you now? If you're in Midland and you get laid off, what do you do? And of course, so he picked on one guy, and the guy goes, "Let well, us go home." And the 
And of course, the guy he asked was from Midland, and so all his family was there. And he goes, "No, no, I want someone from Midland who, you know, there's there's not a family there." And of course, everybody, if you get laid off in Midland, you don't stick around because it's, I think it's a fascinating area. But generally, you know, you hop on the freeway and go down to San Antonio, or right. you go over to Dallas, or you come up to Oklahoma City, um, but you don't, you know, you don't, you don't uh, stick around in uh, in Midland. So he said, "There's a." huge problem and and when this frenzy of completion activity starts he goes no yeah number one you aren't gonna have the people they aren't gonna be there um the infrastructure he goes it's totally he goes it's totally um at capacity he goes you can't have any more trucks going down the road and he goes you can't get the people to build the roads because you know they're all working in the oil field they make a heck of a lot more money on a you know pipeline or oil uh, uh service company or whatever than they do uh you know laying asphalt and so he goes that's another issue and uh, it was quite fascinating to to hear him talk about the the labor issues and i know um uh, texas railroad commissioner uh, wayne christian who's very good friends with uh, lynn helms you know has told me that uh, you know he's actually gone out and done, done a, a number of talks here in texas and told people gee you know if you're having problems getting a job in this economy you ought to think about like you just noted, you know, being retrained or some two-year degrees or some companies who will train you and, and look at the energy sector. And, he, and he's doing that partly because, number one, it's a good message to get out there. But number two, I mean, for the industry, it, it's very good. You know, it, it makes the industry and the regulators look really positive when you have such a positive impact when you take people who, you know, are working at minimum wage and you put them on a truck and give them a green hat and they're making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Of course in Midland, I don't know what it costs to, to uh, buy a house or an apartment, but, but I do know the hotel. I mean, it's the only place that I got, you know, the, the hotel that in, let's say in, uh, in Dallas, uh, would cost maybe $110 a night is, you know, $350 a night in midland and you know you go there and apparently these companies they rent the entire place out so a lot of times they'll they'll the, the parking lot will be full of pickup trucks and and on the weekend you can go yeah you can go and get a room for a hundred dollars a night but you know during the weekday there's they're totally sold out which i thought was pretty interesting and again it's all part of the uh the infrastructure the manpower um issue they have out there and it, it's, it's exciting midland is so vibrant i mean you just go out there and it's like a it's like the gold rush, and um, and it's I enjoy it. I I would uh, I wouldn't hesitate to go out there if I was young, especially. I tell my students, you got nothing to lose. It doesn't matter whether you know you're an engineer or you're a financial person or whether you're a landman or whether you're an attorney. Um, you know, there if you're willing to work, I think uh, you know, that place is the mecca, and you're going to learn a lot. So you can always bring go back to Houston, go back to Dallas. Go back to Oklahoma City, go back to Tulsa, and you'll be taking those skills with you forever. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is um, Michelle Comer, the North Dakota Labor Commissioner, and I, this is what we talked about, was that that four-year degree just isn't as needed as it was before. In fact, you might argue the two-year degree is right now the, the what, what, where people are going. Now, if you're going to be an attorney or an accountant or a doctor, that's a different story. But if you're just going for a business degree, for example, um, that today's economy might not be the best 
best way to rack up $100,000 in debt and go out there and try to look for a job with 100 other people versus you get a two-year degree that might be paid for and you make a hundred grand a year right out of school. I mean, and, and that wasn't the case 10 years ago. That wasn't the case 20 years ago. So the thing that she said is that we need to start changing a 40-year mindset of you got to go to a four-year school right when you're done, that type of thing, to where there's options like there's never been before. Uh, you, you work for a university, you've, uh, University of Oklahoma, and you, you're part of the law program, which is, you know, eight years of school. Uh, are, are, is the, the, the increase of trades and that sort of thing, is that trickling into your guys' uh, conference rooms and that sort of thing, just from an a, a educational uh, observation side? Yeah, it is. Let me, let me tell you how this is working. We have, you have to have a four-year undergraduate degree, but what we've done at the law school, and there's some other universities, for example, University of Tulsa has done a great job. Oklahoma City University has a similar type program where um, online, if you have a four-year degree, you can get a master's in energy studies or energy legal studies. You know, each university cause calls it a little bit different. But what it is, Jason, is like, you know, you get a, a four-year degree, say, in political science and can't find a job or can't find a good job. So you can go and take, you know, a 15-month program or 20-month program and get a master's in um, energy law and they'll teach you or we teach students all about oil and gas leasing, running title, environmental law, water law, energy project finance, negotiations, you know, federal leasing, offshore leasing. You take all these courses and, and the neat thing online, and of course, this really dates me because I, yeah, I'm, I've been teaching now for over 35 years at a whole bunch of different law schools and business schools, and it's always you know, FaceTime, and if you're a good professor, you know, the students will pack your classes, and um, <laughs> and with the online programs now, what you can do, and what we've done at the University of Oklahoma, is we've cherry-picked some of the very best teachers and experts in their given area, like title, um, like energy project finance, like uh, environmental law, and then we record their lectures, and then um, the students get to get the experience of having a superstar and some of these people i mean we have we had the latest people that were in here we had about 34 of them i think we had three or four from midland and a couple one guy told me yeah he goes you know at lunch you know i just pull my pickup truck over and while i'm eating lunch i turn on the computer and get i watch my um, you know 30 minute lecture and take my notes and he goes you know then that night he goes i get back online review everything and then you know go through the protocol of responding and doing the homework and doing all the assignments and uh etc but he goes it's great because number one you're still working so you are enhancing your you're enhancing your education without um going back to school and quitting your job and that's the interesting thing is <laughs> of all these people who graduate from our online program every time you know, two or three people come up to me and say god this is so interesting i want to be a lawyer I don't think I go into law school and I tell them, hey, look, you know, think about this. You're going to spend, as you know, Jason, you're going to spend three years, probably more, going to law school. It's going to cost you a bunch of money and you're going to quit a job that you're making some really good money and getting some good experience. You could do that in some areas like in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City University has a night program in Houston. There are night programs for law school. But if you're in Midland, you, you know, you, 
if you go to law school, you're going to have to, you know, relocate. And um, the online law degree has not is not there yet. It may be here in four or five years where you can in Midland, Texas, um, you know, take a three year um, program online and uh, and complete it successfully. But it's real exciting. The, the whole online education, I was very skeptical about it um, when I first started and getting involved uh, two or three or four years ago. But the more I'm involved, the more comfortable I am. As you know, the technology is just incredible. The, you know, the Skype, the Skyping and the, you know, the ability to get online. Uh, it really, and like the commissioner noted, I mean, you know, even if, even taking seminars and lectures online um, without getting an advanced degree is, is, you know, can make you competent to, I mean, the joke is in Midland, uh, my law students don't appreciate this joke sometimes. I said, you know, gee, if you fail the bar exam, but if you can pass a drug test, you know, you can go to Midland and make more than $100,000, you know, driving a truck. And, of course, they all think I'm joking. I said, well, no, no, I'm serious. There is such a, you know, it's probably substantially more than 100000 from what I've read and what I've heard. Um, but it is, you know, it, that is a, <laughs> well, so it's not as easy as you see, it seems, because, I mean, the roads out there, I mean, it's, it's, if you ever, I don't know if you've been to Midland lately, but I was out there and everybody drives a pickup truck or a huge trailer. And I mean, it's, it is somewhat intimidating for someone like me who's used to Oklahoma city or Norman, Oklahoma traffic or Dallas traffic where you, you know, you don't, you may have a traffic jam, but it's mostly cars and SUVs. It's not 18 wheelers that are going 75 miles an hour. So <laughs> I always tell people if, you know, in these oil, oil things are going on. Um, if you got no business being on the roads, don't go. Um, right. It's just, there's, it ain't worth it. It's just not worth it because, you know, you're talking, like you said, these, these aren't little geo metros. These are big trucks. And um, if you get hit, there's more fatalities than injuries type of a thing. That's how, you know, how big these trucks are. Um, yeah. The, the, the education part, it's just, it's, it is pretty neat and exciting to see the different options that are coming, you know, to the different ways that you can do a, uh, and, and get an education these days. I chuckled because uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine, actually, she was an attorney and she was uh, working for a, a law firm and a judge for about, I suppose, two, maybe three years tops. And then after that, she started selling pharmaceuticals because she made double the money. And so, (laughs) you know, I got it. And that's what made me think of it. I wonder how many lawyers are doing the same thing. Like, no way, man, I'll go drive truck and make 120 grand a year. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's funny. And and actually, it's funny you mentioned that because I told my students, um, regardless of where you are in your class, if you're in, if you have a four year or two year degree or a law degree, you generally have enough intelligence to do something really well. So you just need to find out what you enjoy doing and it may be driving a truck in the block and be, or because you're making money or you enjoy driving a truck, but you know, you're in, you, you, you have intelligence. And if, if you're usually going to school and get a two four or a law degree, you have some type of discipline where you have to do your homework. You have to show up for class. You know, you, you have average to above average um, intelligence. So you'll, you can be successful selling cosmetics uh, like, you know, or, or, um, you know, doing doing whatever you want to do, and there's quite a few very very successful people with law degrees that there's they there's no way you could get them back in a law practice, and there's no way you can get them you know 
near a courtroom. So I, and I think that's good. <laughs> yeah. Quite and frankly, and a lot of times when I talk to students, I, you know, I tell them, um, in some, some way it comes up that, you know, if, if, if you're in business, well, during a recession, you just got to figure out a way to make a better steak sandwich than the other guy. Um, because there's always going to be, you know, money out there, but it just becomes a lot harder to find. But if you make a better product than the next person, you know, you should be okay. Or if you're going to go and get a trade, say like a, um, um, I, and I always give the example of a hairstylist, um, hair always grows during a recession. And actually it's one of the few industries that is recession proof is cutting hair. And so, I mean, if you're looking to, you know, have a safe industry, something like that is really safe because like I said, hair still grows in a recession and people still need to, you know, get their hair cut. So there, the, when, when you hear the word recession, a lot of times people think everybody gets hit when that's not the case. In fact, some people like, I know my business actually grew during the last recession because um, one of the, one of the things that we are set up for is to deliver content to traditional media formats and when they're laying people off they love us because <laughs> right. yeah because because you know we're, we're providing you know but to be fair to us we don't you know sensationalize our topics and we don't have an agenda our agenda is pretty simple educate the world about oil and gas that's that's pretty simple and so hey speaking of your students by the way and educating the world of oil and gas as we kind of wrap up here um uh, take an opportunity to plug the uh, new podcast that you guys have uh, work, been working on, that sort of thing. It's another voice for energy and another opportunity for students to uh, learn about it. Actually, Jason, we uh, this was a student idea, and I actually I, I talked to you earlier, and I wanted to make sure you know you know we're not the students were not in competition with you. But about six months ago, they came to my office and said, "Hey, Professor Dancy, we know you're busy as heck." But we'd like to do this energy podcast. Would you be faculty advisor? No one else would be faculty advisor. And I said, sure. And But I let them, they messed around, and they said, well, and I said, geez, guys, first of all, you need the recording equipment. You need the software. You know, you need, so it took, them, it took them about three months to get everything together. But what we did is we um, put together a, a podcast. It's the Oklahoma Energy Podcast, and we interviewed one of our recent graduates, Kimberly Wirtz, with uh, Ball, Morse, and Lowe, and a firm here in in uh, Oklahoma City, and she's an expert on water law, and she talked about water issues, mainly in the Permian, because she's, she's a Midland girl who's been transplanted to Oklahoma City and Norman, but she said, and her father practices law out in Midland, but she goes, water is such a important aspect of oil and gas development that people don't realize and it's going to be a continually continual issue going forward then we had another dan stephens who's energy prospectus group um ceo he's a energy expert talked about natural gas and i I know you had a recent program on natural gas and i'd listen i mean and, and what dan said was just what your guest was saying and you brought up i mean god it's been two or three weeks ago i think it's it you were ahead of the curve uh in a way uh about the fact that this winter we have such low levels of natural gas that potentially in chicago and elsewhere and back east that there may actually be shortages where utilities are going to have to go to manufacturers and chemical plants and buy the natural gas at whatever price they can, they'll have to pay. And he goes, it could be, the, the Dan is, used to work for Hess Corporation. He said at one point, and this is, goes, this is 10 or 15 years ago, 
you know, we had we we had people buying our gas from Hess at like sixty dollars a thousand cubic feet. And to give you in perspective, today, you know, the gas is what three seventy a thousand cubic mm-hmm. feet. That's up from three dollars. So he goes, they pay whatever it takes because you cannot let the residential users. Um, you know, the, you can't let the lines go below a certain pressure because it's a safety hazard. It'll blow. You know, we they had this issue and we had the reverse issue in Boston where the the valve failed and, and and it had overpressure and caused a whole bunch of fires. But um, in any event, our podcast is the Oklahoma Energy Podcast. We actually I talked to the students. They they love to interview you, especially about the Balkan. They're go, we're going to go down the nape here in February and. Uh, broadcast from the uh the that's the uh energy expedition down there and uh and i they would love to talk to you about the Balkan and what's going on up there but it is interesting because i've talked to them and and that's another place i said god if you guys want a you know a career and of course nobody well one of our online students was from north dakota i think wattberg was the name of the town but anyway uh that the law students i said you know you can go to north dakota that would be a pretty good place to practice too and then they look at your average temperature in January, and it's like, Professor Dancy, you know, we're an oaky, you know, it's we we can't take these seven degree temperatures, <laughs> you well, know, average in January. But I, I guess you, Jason, you got to get used to it. I, I don't know if I could take it anymore either. And I'm from Michigan, so it's tough. It is tough. I mean, Michigan, at least you got some trees, that sort of thing. Oh, you know, you mentioned Midland and that you know we've got Williston and Watford City and those are those are like um land islands they're just you know in the middle of nowhere and you've got some and 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 to be you know not to you know be be negative or anything like that but it's a very tough place to live um you know you're you're hours and hours away from uh you know my, my, you know a, a, a city of any size to go see a concert for example or something like that you know um a lot like texas you know texas is a big state you got to drive you know some hours to get from point a to point b sometimes and um that's one of the issues you know that's one of the issues in north dakota is is trying to uh overcome some of those temperature realities because you know like liberty Liberty Oil, for example, um, I don't know if they're still doing this, but two, three years ago, they they had their frack crews down in San Antonio, but they were fracking up in North Dakota. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine you're going to your, you know, you're you're working in San Antonio, but all the, you know, all the artificial intelligence and and all the robots are doing the work up in North Dakota for you, so you don't have to deal with it. You know, it's a very small crew because. You know, there, there, there's always got to be some people on the well site putting the pipes on and that sort of thing. But a lot of those guys that do a lot of the computer work and the joystick work no longer need to be on site anymore. So they can be down in Houston or San Antonio or whatever the heck. So it's a changing world out there. And um, North Dakota, what they're trying to do is quality of living, you know, so they can uh, have some better shops and some, you know, uh, entertainment things to do because that's where we're going now. You know, you can have any product delivered to your house by Amazon. And so that, you know, shopping isn't really the big deal. You need to have some entertainment and some quality of life things for families to do and for people to experience if they don't have, you know, mountains and rivers and lakes and, you know, the the type of natural resources that originally brought people to cities. So anyway, it, it's it's just interesting. And, you know, good luck to the, the students on, on this. You know, I'm, I'm sure they're going to find out like a lot of people are, 
Podcasts are easy to set up, but to get one going for a while is a little bit of work. You know, you got to know oh, what you're doing. You got to have work. good yeah. guests. Right. Um, you know, it sounds like, you know, with you guys, you're going to be talking about some niche subjects like water issue, that sort of thing. They're on the right track. I mean, um, you want to talk about one of the most underreported, yet one of the most critical topics of the energy industry. It's water, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, when you're talking about ways that you can recycle water and purify water, I mean, you could do a month on that. And then when you start talking about, oh, my God, we're going to need 20 times more than we originally thought. Where are we going to get it? Well, no one wants yep. to talk about that. <laughs> no, no. Actually, uh, I've, I've rode around, got to spend six months or eight months ago in Midland with a company I won't name, and all I heard out of their mouth was, where are we going to get the water? Where are we going to get the water? And, uh, et cetera. I'm sure it's the same in North Dakota. In fact, Watford City was the one where mm -hmm. one of our students is from, and she, I think she has three or four or maybe five kids, and and she, your description of Watford City is just about like hers, so it was very interesting. But she was a very bright uh, student and was happy she graduated uh, last week, so that was excellent. Yeah, I mean, like Fargo, for example, is where North Dakota State is, where the university is. It's the biggest town in North Dakota. That's like seven hours from Williston, you know, like six hours from Watford. So just to, you know, drive and go to your college football game, that's quite a bit. You know, that's, that's a long drive. And to get to the state capitol, it's like three, four hours, something like that. Depend, you know, and a lot of it depends on the traffic, too, because a lot of these roads, you know, they're not, they're not conducive for a lot, of track, a lot of travel. A lot of these roads were just used to having a few combines a year on there, and now they've got energy trucks going, and so you can't pass as easy. And you know what I mean by that? I'm sure Midland's the same way, where – you start getting on some of these roads, and you are just beholden to the flow of traffic. It, if it's right. going, if it's going twenty miles, you're going twenty miles an hour. If it's going seventy-five, well, you're going seventy-five because the the the, the big trucks dictate the road. <laughs> so, well, let me ask you a yeah. question: How many times has your windshield been cracked by the big trucks throw, trucks throwing up uh, rocks? I, yeah, I, just I, you know. I was just shocked at how many times I was like, oh, my gosh. Luckily, it didn't crack my windshield. But, God, I must have been hit like three times in a three-day period by, you know, boy, it's, it, it's startling. Uh, you don't, you're not used to that in Oklahoma City or Dallas, having a rock thrown at your, at your windshield. Well, it's pretty common up here. I mean, I bet it's happened to me twice in the last probably four or five, six years, um, just thinking about it. Because, um, you know, we, it depends on the community, but they'll put sand and salt and, you know, that stuff down in the roads. So it's not uncommon to get, you know, all kinds of different rocks amongst the roads and get kicked at you because they use it for traction on the roads. Oh. And, what? yeah, and you can bring in some other stuff. So, yeah, it gets a little bit – yeah, I mean, there's, there's the uh, windshield guys are doing really well in North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do just hey, fine. <laughs> hey, you know, that is, that is another – actually, we, my wife had a windshield replaced here two or three years ago, and the guy who – it was a, you know, actually had a franchise. And I thought, that's a pretty neat little franchise. And you call up and your insurance company, you know, they come right to your house and they replace it sitting in the driveway. And you have to go to a shop somewhere in, in South Dallas or South Oklahoma City. And, um, yeah, you're right. God, that would be a 
gold mine in Midland or or up in North Dakota, you would think in a in any of the cities. So yeah, and any time that you can get somebody just to pay a small deductible, insurance will pick up the rest. You got a good you, you got a good business. <laughs> you, got a, <laughs> you got a really good exactly. business, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Uh, all right. Well, I appreciate the time. Today. Any final thoughts? Uh, anything we missed? Anything you want to reiterate or anything like that? No, actually, I just uh, I think I appreciate everybody who um, has listened to your program and listened to my lectures and et cetera. And I, I do think 2019, it's going to start slow, but I really do think as we go forward, it's going to pick up steam and it should be a good year. Good year for companies, good year for mineral owners, good years for workers, good for everybody, including the government who gets their fair share. <laughs> 